Hello and welcome to the Week in Review. Uh, once again, I am not Michael Curzon, he's away, uh, though we can be fairly certain he'll be here again next week. I'm Esty Wicket and I'm joined as always by Luke Perry. Luke, how is today's weather? Well, it, it, um, it's uh, from some days of being sunny and incredibly hot and going out to the beer garden, it's now a bit cold and miserable, not going to lie. That's funny because here it's absolutely chucking down. In in about four days, I'll be back in East Anglia. Ah, yes, yes. Uh, and we're joined again by Bourne Brooks' token liberal, Peter. How are you, sir? Hi, I'm, I'm very well. Thanks for thanks for having me on again. And uh, I can confirm that the weather here is also absolutely miserable. Mm-hmm. We'll come to you in a bit, Peter, because um, you uh, took part in our brand new podcast, The Political Tipster, over the last week. Uh, so we'll, ah, yes. so uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll we'll come to... Um, your uh, unfortunately misplaced prediction from from, from last week. <laughs> soon. Uh, yes. However, how, we'll start with you, Luke, who you've been covering the um, the irreversible roadmap to freedom. So, what's going on here, Luke? So, um, may, may I remind you that it's not a "what's going on" episode. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah, I know you you, you and Curzon did, did um, a, a recording for the "What's Going On" episode on the government's announcement. So we're covering old ground here and we always cover a lockdown story every week but um sort of the dust has partially settled since the prime minister's last announcement so um first of, of course is that the 21st of june at the time of recording is only three days away so it'll be interesting to see all those who pledged to stop following the the rules of the new normal actually following through such as whether andrew lloyd webber does put himself into facing arrest if he does open theatres but um, I think the best thing to talk about is is the main reason given for this extension, which is that there is a variant of concern that the Delta stroke Indian variant rampaging through the nation, which is fueling a rise in cases. Now, cases is really all our dear political overlords can really pounce upon to I- induce fear and keep the hysteria alive. And this is some of the news headlines being absolutely hilarious from Sky News. UK reports more than 11,000 new cases, hyphen, and another 19 deaths. Now, I was, I was at a restaurant yesterday, and 19 people was about one-fifth of the room. So, um, yes, once again, the government has no justification. And uh, the second question I'd like to ask is, any of you two suffering from hay fever this year? Get it? Yes, 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 from Wicket, Peter. Hay fever bad this year? No. No, it's the Russian blood, must be. And um, so, uh, I mean, I, I always suffer it very badly. And uh, it appears that um, sneezing is now a, mm, <laughs> a new that. COVID yeah. symptom, yeah, given, that. given that 90% of the people are sneezing. I mean, again, from Sky News, a leading COVID-19 symptoms researcher has called on the government to update the list of classic symptoms, i.e. coughing and whatnot, saying sneezing was now amongst the most common signs. Oh, my God. I predict within a week, rubbing your eyes would be a symptom as well. So it's <laughs> it's just prolonging it out unnecessarily, and as mm. we've seen over the past year, mm. uncovering anything they can find. Going going back a little bit, you said eleven thousand cases. Have they pointed out um, the context of how many tests have been carried out to achieve that that, that number? No, of course not. Right, yeah, because it's, it, it's, it's the pretty, scare figures. Yeah, it's, context it's, is lost. Probably somewhere find around the real truth in the small print. It's probably somewhere around the million mark, right? Yeah, tests carried out. Yeah. Well, 
whenever there's a, there's a variant of concern or a rising case in a certain area, it's declared a hotspot. The um, the testing centres roll on in. Surprise, surprise! Mm. They find cases that bumps the figures up. It's a self fulfilling prophecy. You know? mm, mm, mm. Peter, I, I can't I can't quite discern the look on your face from from listening to what we've been saying. What you... He's angry about my comment. I do apologise, Peter. Well, uh, I, don't, I don't know about that. Uh, I don't know where you got that impression. Um, look, I mean, um, I, th I think my stance on uh, this particular uh, this particular issue might annoy both sides, to be honest. Um, I, I, I think, um, personally, from my own layman's interpretation, I didn't quite see the full logic behind delaying the, the full reopening. Um, yes, it seems that cases have risen. I think, he, I think even if you account for, for the extra testing, I, I'm pretty sure we still have uh, some significant spikes. Uh, but deaths have not risen uh, anywhere near to the same degree. I mean, they're still relatively quite low. And hospitalizations have mostly been um, um, relegated to younger age groups who are not as much of a, of a, of a concern, although obviously there are still some serious health concerns there. Um, um, so I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 didn't, I didn't quite see the, 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 the full logic behind it. Again, that, you know, that's from my own layman's interpretation. Um, that, that being said, look, I mean, if, like my, my, my stance for a, throughout has basically been like, if, 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 the, if, the, if the health professionals who know about this, who know a lot more about this than me, you know, insist that we need an extra four weeks, I am generally inclined to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, although I, although I would, I, I would like to see some explanation for the exact dates they're proposing, because I, I, cause I remember when I, when I was talking about this, um, in, in another setting about, you know, the potential delaying uh, of the roadmap, you know, I said, okay, well, if not the 21st of June, then when, cause you, you, you have to pick a date at some point and there, and there, you know, there's never going to be a date when, uh, when we're going to have zero COVID and no one, no one seriously is suggesting that we should. Uh, you know, aim for a zero COVID strategy because that's absurd on the face of it. Um, so I, I'm, I'm guess I'm, I'm, I'm not sure why exactly four weeks. You know, why is it four weeks instead of two weeks instead of six weeks? Um, I don't know. Um, I, I guess, I guess we're gonna have to to wait and see. Uh, but it, it does, it does seem a bit uh, impulsive to me and. Uh, mm. um, well well, the, the the government said dates, not dates. And um, but I, I've seen some things floating around recently that they could look at a, a 5th of July reopening if the data stays positive. But ultimately, right. I mean, now that the, the, the vulnerable have been jabbed, I mean, what else really can we do? Yeah, there isn't much. Well, I mean, I, I think, I, well, I mean, that, that's that's the thing about, um, that I was quite surprised about the um, kind of the concern over rising case numbers. Um, because if, if cases are rising, uh, but deaths are not, or they're maybe rising, but from an incredibly low point to still a very low point, um, you know, is wasn't that the whole, wasn't that the whole idea um, that we were going to vaccinate all of the vulnerable and pretty much everyone else, we're going to reach herd immunity, and it's going to be at a point where you know we can accept rising you know cases because uh, you know the, the, the vast majority of the population is, is being protected by the vaccines i mean i i i i thought i thought that was the whole that was the whole idea mm. um and obviously look i i get i get the argument um i, I mean you guys maybe don't uh or, or i should say you guys maybe don't agree with it um you know that uh 
we don't, we know, even, even if a significant proportion of the population is vaccinated, we still don't want new variants, you know, you know, running around rampant because, you know, if they mutate, they can cause problems. And, and for that reason, we should generally be trying to keep cases, you know, from exploding completely. Um, but I, I, guess, I guess it remains to be seen whether, you know, just how much our, you know, the herd immunity we've acquired so far for the vaccines um, allows us to, you know, I, I don't know what the what the ceiling is, you know, for the for the current case rises, basically. Um, mm -hmm. But again, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist, so I mean, all, all, all I all I can say on the subject is, I from what I've seen, I don't quite understand the logic for you know the the new date. Um, but I, I mean, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt for now, I guess. Um, mm. You know, um, how 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 long will that go on for? At what point would you sort of throw your hands down and say, okay, they're taking the piss now? I, I, I don't know. I guess I guess I'll know when it comes to it. I mean, if we, I mean, I mean, remind me what, what the new data is supposed to be for, for reopening. I'm sorry, sorry. The, remind me what, what the new data is supposed to be. Um, for, for supposed to be the 19th of July. Um, right. Well, I mean, okay. Like if we get to the 19th of July and the situation hasn't gone dramatically worse and they say, okay, we need to wait another month. Okay. Like, I think at that, at that point I'll be like, all right, this is getting quite, quite mm. weird. Mm. Mm. Many times have the people of this nation been promised that this is the last time. It's a lockdown to save Christmas. Then it's a lockdown during Christmas to save the new year. Well, this this time yeah. is different because we've we've had the vaccines though. Uh, so like there there is oh, there's the, a very the, the vaccines have, are, have already hit. They've already been jabbed into ninety five percent of vulnerable groups, but we we still have not we still have not reached free, this fabled freedom day yet. Mm. And re regarding mutations that that can cause problems, well, the flu mutates every year. That the vac there's there's still a vaccine for that, which still handles mm. it. See, whilst there are still deaths from fr from the flu, this is this this is what happens with disease. So so long as, as there is a vaccine which provides some protection, then um, don't have to take the risk. Yeah, no, I mean that, that that's a fair point. Again, I you know n neither of us are that knowledgeable on the subject to come to the, you know, the scientific specifics um i mean I, I guess what i'll say is maybe like we understand the flu a lot better than we understand COVID 19. this is still a relatively new thing we still don't even know where it came from um and you know we we still don't understand the, the full long-term health implications of it and you know what new variants can bring um but but no i mean like I, yeah i see that hmm. yes there is going to need to come a point, though, where, you know, um, I think it was uh, Witty said recently that this virus will continue to be around for you know decades still. So there will need to be a point where we just say, listen, there's nothing else we can we can do. We, ha we have to just get along because otherwise the the restrictions at, at times do outweigh the, 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 the chaos caused by the virus itself. And um you know, you, you can look at places in in the US where they've just completely reopened. Um, they've given people their lives back, and cases haven't, you know, cases and death haven't haven't spiked into apocalyptic le levels. So, um, yeah, I I I I was very pissed off when they, when they when they delayed the re reopening. But I I do get the sense that the mood in the public is now that this has to be the last one but but then again i'm i'm, I'm not sure because there is a sort of um uh its own sort of roadmap where you know we we, we we sort of we're bracing to open up again and then suddenly stories start trickling into the press and then over a couple of weeks gets normalized the idea that we're going to go back into some sort of lockdown and then it just happens and no one's really that that shocked by it well i, I think what will be an interesting test of public opinion 
is whether, as you said, we actually do end up with extra restrictions being brought back in. Because look, as, as far as things stand right now, and I think this is maybe, well, first of all, like we know from polling that was done that most, a lot, most people are still skeptical, you know, about early, um, you know, early reopenings, you can put that down to, you know, uh, the media generating fear, you can put that down to legitimate, you know, health concerns, you know, whatever your current view on the, uh, on the subject is, I mean, that's kind of irrelevant, but, you know, but most people are skeptical of early reopenings and, um, but, but I, I think, I think another part of it is that, um, aside from health concerns as well, I mean, right now, like, we're not really in a lockdown anyway, like most, for the vast majority of people can do what they, you know, want without facing restrictions. I mean, the only the only thing I mean, under the current uh, under the current restrictions, the only uh, the only stuff that's really prohibited is, you know, mass events, um, which, you know, most people don't, you know, uh, go to on a, on a very regular basis. You know, you, you can travel around the country. You can go to the restaurant inside with a bunch of your friends. You can hmm. go to all sorts of venues. It's yeah, I, I you know, I, I think the the the, uh, the restrictions as they are, are fine enough for the vast majority of people. Um, you could say, you, obviously, there's an argument to make that they're certainly not fine for large uh, industries and business. Um, but uh, but yeah, I I, I I think I think if I think if uh, if 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 a couple of days ago, you know, Boris Johnson went out and said, "All right, not only are we delaying the reopening, but we're also you know closing down indoor dining again and uh, and closing down cinemas." I look, I, I mean, maybe at that point the uh, uh, the uh, the public response would have been quite different. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the even then, even if it had gone ahead, you know, even if the freedom day had gone ahead, it, 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 there's still a lot of restrictions still in place that, you know, like freedom day to me um, denotes the com the complete removal of any and all restrictions. You know, you st you still have to wear a mask in most of those things. You you still can't really travel. You still can't really. Um... Well, I mean, in terms of travel, I mean, that's to be fair. That's not really the government's. Uh, that's, not, that's not really something the government can do anything about. Sure. Sure. I mean that that that's you know that's up to the. Or international partners, wherever they wherever they want us there, <laughs> with the current state of things. Luke, yeah. Um, whilst uh, I mean, you, you see the counter argument to like, oh, you can still go to the pub, but yes, asterisks with many bureaucratic restrictions in place. Mm -hmm. you, you can't order at the bar anymore. You, you you can't go with with a group more than six. Yeah, you have to book. You have to book in advance. Maybe booking for the pub just to adhere to social distancing. Mm. It's such. It, it it has made many things in life micromanaged now. Such yeah. as on, on a busy high street, might be forced to queue outside a store. No, I'm not. I'm not saying it's completely the same. I'm 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 just, I'm just saying like most people are happy to accept it for now. It's, you know, since they since it means that you know they can still do most of the things they want to do. Um, Mm. No, I, sure, I see. I government's form of appeasement, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's just it's, siphon it's, off little chunks just to appease the whole. For me, for me, it's quite abstract and almost quite inexplicable. Where, yeah, I can see, you know, I, I'm not legally required to stay at my home all day, but it still doesn't feel like I'm living a, a full, you know, life that I, I really recognise. Um. Anyway, on that on that note, we'll um, we'll we'll move along uh, to your story, Peter, which is the, uh, the 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 bombshell that's just come out of uh, Chesham and Amersham. Um, so, what have you what have you been looking at? Um, well, obviously, we we still uh, quite quite a well when when we're discussing, we're still quite a not too long after the the actual result. Um, well, I mean, I don't know when Septa's going to be posted, but you know, we're discussing basically the following morning. Um, 
Look, I mean, uh, you mentioned you mentioned the, the podcast I was on with Julian uh, the, the other day uh, when we made our own predictions for uh, Cheshire and Amersham. And um, I, I think I believe I said that I expected Lib Dem vote share to be between 35 and 40 percent, uh, which would have been a great prediction if I substituted that for the conservative vote share, uh, which was, I think, 55.5 percent. Mm. Um, look, I mean, it, it's a bombshell result. Uh, I didn't you know, I, I'm happy to say I was uh, uh, completely uh, wrong about it. Um, um, yeah, I mean, in many ways, it's more it's more shocking than Hartlepool because, uh, in fact, because unlike Hartlepool, where uh, conservative victory was possible, basically, uh, well, it, while you know, in, in the end result, Labour vote share fell quite, quite a bit as well. In Hartlepool, the Tory victory was basically possible as long as they could convert the vast majority of former Brexit Party voters. Um, whereas, um, whereas in, Ch in Cheshire and Amersham. Uh, for the Lib Dems to win, they would have had to get a very large number of direct Tory to Lib Dem uh, conversions, and that's exactly what they did. I mean, it's it's a, it's a on a like a twenty five percent swing, which is astronomical. Um, they, um, you know, this is a seat which uh, the Conservatives have never um, the Conservatives have always held it, and never with less than ten thousand majority. So this, you know, this is. This is quite a bombshell. I mean, in terms of like um, how they won it. Um, I mean, I've been speaking to some uh, to some Lib Dem uh, Lib Dem friends and colleagues of mine uh, who uh, who have uh, been uh, who have been uh, you know campaigning there. And I mean, as far you know, as far as they're concerned, you know, they 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 run a very uh, you know energetic local campaign. I mean, they they completely bombarded the area with activists from around the country. Uh, one friend I spoke to, she claims that. They uh, they spoke to between ten and twenty um, ten and twenty thousand uh, voters on polling day alone, um, which kind of gives you an idea of just the scale of the ground operation they had there. And I mean, in terms of the messaging, it was a very very localized campaign. the The entire thing was basically fought by the Lib Dems as a referendum on the government's planning laws and on HS two. Um, so. Um, which, by the way, uh, a lot of the younger Lib Dem activists who went to campaign there were not happy about, because these people uh, these people tend to be very pro house building and pro HS two, and they were campaigning for, uh, let's just say, a very uh, very NIMBY uh, style candidate. Um, yeah. uh, but uh, but I guess like what well, they'll say, look, I mean, you can't you can't argue with the with the results. Um, I, I guess like the, the uh, an interesting and uh, I guess the interesting question is you know how, what 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 does this mean for for the Liberal Democrats on the uh, on the national level because again like well it obviously shows that the party is partly dead you know we could say that for sure um, but I, I think it's also and um, but we, we tend to we tend to after, after kind of you know shocked by election results we tend to overanalyze things a lot. And I, I think it's sometimes helpful to wait a bit to kind of calm down. Uh, but but uh, you know, um, I, what I'll say is like the result is it, it's not like meaningless. I think I think it does tell us some things, uh, such as you know, again, the Liberal Democrats, you know, they still have they 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 still have a fight in them. Um, our political environment is still quite weird, in case you didn't realize. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there are you know, and and it's still relatively volatile. You know, in the right circumstances, there are a lot of you know, for in this instance, former conservative voters who've only ever voted conservative who are prepared to switch to another party, in this case, Liberal Democrats. Um, the, the, you know, looking looking at the party's kind of national picture, though, it's, it's, I think you can safely say that this kind of result, you know, you can't replicate it across the country, because again, it was a very localized campaign.
Um, and for the next general election, the Liberal Democrats will still have to figure figure out a, a, a convincing national narrative, which they've been severely lacking for the past few general elections. So let's, let's look at the why then, because I've seen a couple of potential explanations as, as to why. One from uh, Lord Adonis, of all people, oh, who said that, he said that this was, a, this was a rebuke of Brexit. I mean, the oh, come on. Cheshire and Amersham had a narrow pro-Remain votes in the referendum with yes. a high turnout but also i've seen some, some, some people saying that this is a uh knee jerk reaction to extending lockdown i mean the lib dems have been going oh. have been going heavy on uh like this sort of the civil liberties angle um in regards to lockdown so why do you think the lib dems managed yeah. to not, not only win this seat but also with sort of okay. massive I can, I can tell you two things for for sure uh even though you know i haven't actually been there during the campaign um Number one, this is not about Brexit. I mean, of course, Lord Adonis would say this because he's obsessed with the subject. Um, but um, look, I, I think the, the easiest way to rebute the, re refute the uh, this is about Brexit argument is number one, uh, the remainder vote there was, you know, the majority, but not a huge majority, only 55% or so, um, which, 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 by the way, it means that Lib Dems probably won quite a few Leap voters um, in this by-election. Um, but more importantly, if there ever, and I said this on the Julian's uh, podcast uh, recently, if there ever was an election in Cheshire and Amersham, which was all about Brexit, it was, the it was in the general election of 2019 when the Lib Dems only got 26% of the vote there. So, so look, if, 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 I, I, I don't think that there is a huge chunk of voters mm. who in 2019 just didn't really care about Brexit. But now that it's happened, uh, they've suddenly said, oh, you know what? This is so miserable. We're going to vote for, for the Lib Dems because they're going to take us back to the EU, which they're obviously not yeah, going yeah. to do. I, it, it, no, it, it, makes, it makes zero sense. Uh, so, no, it's definitely not about Brexit at all um and i don't know i don't and i also don't think it's anything to do with lockdown because i, I certainly don't think the lib dems are out there campaigning uh, against uh, against lockdown measures hmm. i'd like to point to ed davis comment that that the south is beginning to crumble i mean very dramatic and we've talked about how it'd be difficult for lib dems to um enact this on a national level at a general election but uh, i've got another example and that is Blue County of Cambridgeshire now has a Labour mayor, which although the voting system was different, it was AV. So Lib Dem voters would have gone to Labour vote, Labour, the Labour candidate in the second round. It's just that, um, I mean, that demographics always change, voting intentions of different areas always change. And it's just whether the South, some heavy Remain areas such as London are shifting more away from the Tories. Well, and so the Tories are sort of capitalising on Labour's collapse in the North. It's just, I wonder your opinions, Peter, because you've always been a fantastic election analyst. And so what do you think, how seismic of, of a shift is, will, will this be in the future? Uh, well, first of all, thank you. Uh, second of all, um, uh, here's, here's what I'll say about the so-called uh, blue wall, as some people are now referring to it, which... Please don't. Um, um, if you know, if you look at a if you look at a political map of, of England, you don't. There's no blue wall. There's only a blue ocean. Okay, um, and, and those places are very different. Um, look, just just as no just as there is no unified um, you know North that thinks the same thing and is the same demographically and you know is experiencing the same shifts. Just as that is obviously not a thing. Uh, there's also no single South that's all, that, that all uh, thinks the same way. Uh, you know, voters in uh, Twickenham 
or uh, voters in Chesham and Amisham are very different from voters in Cornwall who are very different from, you know, voters in Bristol. Okay. Um, um, so, the, you know, like, I think we, ha we definitely have to remember that when we're talking about, you know, Tory, potential Tory, you know, retreat in the south of England. Um, that being said, uh, there clearly are some constituencies uh, where this kind of um, um, this kind of realignment is a concern for the conservatives. I mean, you know, you, you could look at the last general election, for instance, where even though the Lib Dems, you know, underperformed miserably, they still dramatically improved their vote share in a lot, a lot of, of Southern seats, um, which, um, which tend to be places that, you know, first of all, are places that have been very strongly conservative for a very long time, like, like Cheshire and Amisham. And Cheshire and Amisham, by the way, obviously being one of the seats where they improved quite substantially at the last general election. Um, uh, but yeah, they are generally places that are quite well off, um, quite relatively socially liberal, economically tend to be right of center or center, um, but uh, are increasingly populated by young professionals, uh, many of whom previously lived in places like London, um, you know, as well as the older conservative vote. Um, so, and, and, and there are quite a few, of, quite a few of those seats. I mean, the, on the, on the liberal Democrat target list, um, you know, places, you know, like Winchester, Guildford, uh, Isher and Walton, all, all, you know, all three, all three seats where the Lib Dems got relatively close to winning at the last general election. So I, I, I it, it, the, the, the latter, is that, is that not Dominic Robb's seat? Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, who, who, by the way, probably, uh, is, that, that probably wasn't the, the best result for, for him, certainly. Uh, um, look, look, um, yeah, so th there are, you know, um, I think Cheshire and Amersham shows that, you know, even when you take local factors out of the equation, which clearly played a very large part, um, it, it still shows that the Lib Dems, you know, have a means of winning uh, these kind of uh, Southern conservative seats. Um, and, um, and perhaps in the next general election, you know, the Conservatives will still be fighting to hang on to places like Winchester, Guilford, Isha and Walton, and uh, well, and certainly trying to get a get places like Brecon and Radnishire back. I mean, sorry, not, not Brecon and Radnishire, Cheshire and Amisham. Um, um, I, mean, I mean, if you look at like the, uh, you know, before yesterday, if you looked at the top Lib Dem target seats, uh, Conservative held Lib Dem target seats, I mean, Cheshire and Amisham was quite far down there. So there, there, there are quite a lot of seats which are more marginal. Um, again, you know how 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 will that be replicated in a in a general election setting? You know that remains to be seen. But but no, I mean uh, Luke is right to to point out that um, while while the South is certainly not homogenous, just like the North uh, is not homogenous. You know there there's types of Southern seats, and there are quite a few of them um, where the Liberal Democrats you, where where this kind of these kind of uh, you know realignment shifts uh, perhaps could worry the Conservatives in the future. And, 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 and by the way, I, I, I should add that, like, this will have to, you know, come to fruition if, if we're not to have a conservative government in, you know, in 2024, 2028. Um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, any non-conservative government will basically rely on the Lib Dems winning these kind of constituencies. Uh, does this tell us anything about the upcoming uh, Batley and Spend by-election? No, not so. I mean, I mean, well, it's 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 a it's a very different type of seat with a very different type of uh, campaign going on. 
I mean, I mean, some some people have been pointing out that the, that the Labour vote, I think, in uh, Cheshire Manhattan was, I think, like 1.5, 1.6% or something atrocious. Um, I, 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 I think they, I think they have more. Well, it was basically a replication of what happened in the Richmond Park by-election, where Labour got fewer votes than they did have members in the seat, which is always quite funny when that happens. But I think it also, it, it, it also tells you that you probably can't take too much away from it because, because it's very clearly mm. a case of you know hard tactical voting going on mm. well okay i don't mean in the sense of you know will the levels now win badly and spell i mean i mean oh, more right. in the sense of the tories have been on this electoral rampage for the last couple of years yes and now it's like you know the champion boxer has been knocked out you know or, or has been knocked down and and that sort of you know uh the infallibility has been exposed yeah i mean no, I, I, no, I, 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 I know what you mean. Uh, the, um, no, I, I don't think you can really uh, compare the, the two, uh, the, the two seats. I mean, at the, at the, at the end of the day, just the, uh, the, the electoral dynamics at play in, uh, in Batley and Spen versus Cheshire and Amish are completely different. The, you know, the local issues are completely different. Uh, the demographics are very different. The, um, the, like, like the, in terms of the candidate standing, it's quite different. You know, in Cheshire and Amish, it's a straight fight between the, the Tories and the Liberal Democrats. Uh, whereas in um, in Batley and Spen, you have, you know, a, a marginal contest between Labour and the Conservatives, but you know, have some spoiler candidates in the form of George Galloway, who are basically hoping to pan the seats over to the Conservatives by just taking a chunk out of the Labour vote. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I think I think I don't think this really tells us anything about Batley and Spen. We're just going to have to wait for that. Mm-hmm. OK, wonderful. All right. Well, um... We'll move along there to um, my story for the week, which is a, um, a rather humorous escalation to the uh, ongoing feud between Dominic Cummings and his ex-boss, the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. He's This week he has, he has uh, leaked some WhatsApp messages um, in which uh, the Prime Minister said a, a number of things. The first thing, first thing actually, I, I, was, I was rather taken aback by the way the Prime Minister texts. A lot of... Um, a lot of, a lot of uh, MSN speak in the way the, the PM the PM texts. Anyone anyone our age will recognise the reference. Um, but the the most obvious one is that he referred to Hancock as uh, totally hopeless. Um, what do you guys m- m- make of this? Do, does, it, does it tell you that uh, the, the PM doesn't really have a hold in the government? If, if that's what he thinks of his health secretary, yet yeah, he doesn't get rid of him? Well, I guess the PM said, finally said something that was true for one. <laughs> Well, supposedly Boris has had the same phone for the past 10 years and probably a different one for mistresses. So I'm surprised it's taken this long for these messages to get leaked. Mm-hmm. It just also it just tells you how how just lost at sea the government were during the, the first wave of the virus where, you know, everything from testing targets to PPE imports were just, it was just a complete shambles. Um, and it seems the, the, the PM just, he, he was aware that it was, um, it was Hancock who was messing up. Yet, yet this week, it, yeah. it, the, the, the government has sort of leapt to Hancock's defense. They've the, the, sort of, to, um, to spare their own embarrassment, they've been, uh, they've been running cover for the uh, totally hopeless health secretary. Well, I mean, well, of course, of course, they have. I mean, like, I mean, the alternative is admitting that uh, number one, you were completely messing up, you know, at the crucial stage of the pandemic, and that the prime minister uh, was happy to uh, keep a totally hopeless health secretary uh, in in post uh, all this time. I mean, like, o- obviously, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna deny that anything was ever wrong. I mean, was it was 
chaotic and um, mismanaged in the first stance. It sort of had a with the government sort of entered a period of stability with, with the reoccurring lockdowns. And that's where the sort of general cabinet unity was formed or Prime Minister just whipped them into shape. And of course, Hancock is um, near enough the government's right hand man in this. So not going to throw him under the bus for that. Mm-hmm. And um, so the, there's a few messages which which, which took, took to me. The the the, the one uh, which is I'll, I'll read verbatim, which is on PPE, it's a disaster. I can't think of anything except taking Hancock off and putting Gove on. So um, yeah, he was uh, he, he was considering uh, taking him off, which is I can't think of a good reason to keep him on at this point. Well, like just, just for face. the government to save face, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but like but again, that that exposes the the root of the problem: the government where saving face is more important than competent um, leadership. Yes, tactics, comrades, tactics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, when when Michael Gove is the solution, I mean, you also know that something's probably terribly wrong. But a one to nine system for PPE, like he has GCSEs. <laughs> Sorry, there's a few more. Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, and one thing too that I think has gone a little bit under the radar is um, Cummings was talking about as he as he has for a while now. He was talking about the um, the, the 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 mess in, in in British government and in Whitehall, where he he indicates in the messages that the 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 cabinet office seems to just be completely running the government at this point. Well, I think that's sort of, I mean, I mean, I assume that was in reference to, to the pandemic and the, the start of the pandemic. I mean, well, I mean, to be fair, that makes sense uh, because what you have certainly makes sense from the government's perspective, because when you have, you know, an event that neither, neither of them, none of them have ever, ever um, had to deal with and are clearly completely unprepared to handle. I mean, obviously you're going to like, uh, you know basically go to the civil service and say hey you know we have no clue what do we do um at the civil service you know obviously likes to <laughs> likes that kind of uh likes that kind of situation where they can basically uh um you know tell t- t- instruct the government which mm-hmm. the 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 timing was i think quite interesting he he he, t- he they were released uh wednesday morning um Shortly before PMQs, um, which ha- highlights another issue that we- we've mentioned before, which is that the uh, the opposition doesn't really seem to be that interested in in, in the matter. And Keir Starmer didn't raise the message. I mean, Ian Blackford did, but uh, you know, it's, it's Ian Blackford. But um, you know, should 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 the opposition have have um, scrutinised the PM more closely for this? Yes, of course, the, the opposition should have ripped him through, but. <laughs> Something's just holding them back. Some some mysterious force. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if this was ten years, if this was ten twenty years ago, the opposition would be running wild during the time of the pandemic. I mean, I'm I'm not sure about the, the specific uh, situation with the with the Cummings texts. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure your summer's office thought of this, and they didn't have a lot of time to think about it because I'm pretty sure they released like twenty minutes before PMQ started. Um, which which should be enough time for them to come up with something. Uh, don't get me wrong. I mean, Ian Blackford certainly could come up with uh, something. Um, but I, I, I'm guessing the, the the political calculation that Keir Starmer's team made was, you know, do we really, you know, but like, first of all, we, we don't know just how, you have to remember, like, you can say this doesn't matter politically speaking, but Keir Starmer is a lawyer and, uh, and uh, I guess lawyers don't like making, uh, bringing evidence uh, in when they're not quite sure of its validity. I mean, these 
getting these images that were just leaked 20 minutes before. I, I, I think in, term, in terms of, you know, perhaps more importantly, in terms of the, the political kind of public opinion side of things, Dominic Cummings is, uh, let's just say not liked by the public. Uh, he's highly distrusted. Um, and, you know, by pretty much everyone by this point. And I, I guess Keir Starmer just didn't want him to be his, uh, you know, his primary advocate at, at, at PMQs, mm. uh, especially on the subject of the pandemic, which most people still think the government is handling quite well. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if that would have been the best idea for him. Mm. Mm. I'm going to hark back to Curzon's point here that um, he saw a poll that said 40% of the public are closely following the, um, the Cummings leaks. But um, yeah, that, that, that's not 40%. true. And if, if the voters no aren't, it, no, of course, the, the poll is, is completely, well, could call it fraudulent. But if, I mean, the, the opposition leader, Kisamat, knows that most of the public is not following, hasn't even probably heard of Dominic coming since last November. Well, just, just a quick note on opinion polling. Uh, th this is just a generally kind of a good thing to mention. And it's quite entertaining uh, in the sense because like usually we're like you have to be really careful with polls that ask people are you aware of a certain story happening or are you following a certain story because people you know uh, when they're, they're speaking to pollsters they they dramatically over um, overstate just how politically you know aware they are so when you ask like are you following x story they'll be like oh yeah yeah for sure yeah i'm, I'm very clever um even even when they have no clue what's going on, but mm. so yeah, I don't think 40% is, is way higher. This is certainly a case of that. So I think best to ring government over other issues. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting uh, quote from the, the blog post in which Cummings uh, leaked the messages. He says, um, given his failures on testing, care homes and PPE, why does you keep imposed a Secretary of State you describe as being hopeless? And how many more people have died as a result of your failure to, to remove him? Um, do you think then, given that um, quote from uh, Cummings, that um, the, the, the death toll is higher than it perhaps should have been because of the, um, one, the incompetence of the incumbent, and two, um, the failure of the prime minister to remove an incompetent incumbent? It seems like yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe the government has, has more of a handle on things now. But during during the first wave, and as point pointed Peter, you know, before we really knew what was happening, the the, the response was just completely shambolic. Yeah. Oh, is that for me? Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I don't. I don't think anyone could quite say that the initial uh, the initial response was great by any means i don't think probably whichever side you have the lockdown debate you're on um i think for for a, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of the public have kind of come to give the government some slack there because i mean generally generally when you know an event like this happens i guess when an event like this happens there you know a lot of people think okay they've never experienced this before it kind of makes sense that you know um that it was going to be quite rough initially um you know that, but that's that's another subject i guess in terms of you know could lives have been saved if Hancock wasn't in charge if things were better handled I mean I mean yeah I think that's pretty self-evident I mean if yeah I mean, I, yeah if, if the question if the question is you know would we have saved more lives if we were more on top of the pandemic I mean yeah um you know certainly if if uh, you know hospitals were more prepared if we have more PPE if you know whether you like it or not if we locked down a few weeks before we did that you know just that would have saved more lives 
Um, no, I mean, that, that I think, I think, I think, I think that's all true. Um, mm, mm. Okay. Well, on that note, we'll move along to this week's miscellaneous story. The first we've, we, we've done for a couple of weeks. Um, and that is the, uh, so finally this week we saw the, um, the launch of the much awaited GB news. I mean, of, uh, aside from, a few technical issues, uh, poor sound quality, the set looking like a a, <laughs> a, a, a BTEC media studies um, plaything. Um, content wise, I think it's been very milk toast. Yet that wouldn't stop a certain group of people from trying to financially throttle GB News for supposed uh, rabid right wing um, propaganda. So. Um, there's been a few cases this week of uh, a few a few brands sort of bowing immediately to pressure to withdraw their ads from GB News. We've seen um, the Co-op, uh, Nivea, Vodafone, all all, all I- IKEA, all embroiled in some form of um, boycott and then kickback and then apology and then reinstatement. So um, who wants to jump in first? I, think, I, think, I can see Luke itching to get in. Yeah, I'll have a go. Um, yes, it it seems. The, these types of things usually happen. Um, someone contacts the boy, someone contacts the company through, through social media and some young media intern says, oh, yes, yes, this does not align with our company's values. We'll stop um, stop funding them. And of course, there's a massive um, public storm against the company and the position gets reinstated. We know Arkea put out a statement not, not too long ago. reaffirming that it's too soon to judge gb news given that hasn't been alive a week yet and uh, but it's it's part it was this boycotting case part of a malicious campaign by some not so nice people stop stop funding hate for one which in itself acts as a hate group and tries to um, crush anyone who dissents against woke orthodoxy and uh, i think now certainly with GB News, people are getting wise to that. And Andrew Neil called them out. He's not afraid to take on advertisers. I mean, he did that at the Spectator with the co-op. Um, yes, I think it's ended very well for GB News. That probably got even more popular. Hmm. Uh, Peter. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think GB News quite minds that the extra attention that this has gotten them. I guess hmm. probably hmm. well. Um, Look, I mean, when it, when it, I, I think there are, I guess, a couple of things to be said. Um, number one, I mean, you know, I guess this is kind of obvious, but, you know, private companies have every right to advertise wherever they want. If, if they, if they feel that, you know, their customer base wouldn't, you know, like them appearing on a certain network, whatever, I mean, that's entirely their, their right. Um, I, I also, you know, obviously there are, you know, you you can and you know, um, the case of uh, Luke, you know, you can you could say that uh, it's quite silly for them, you know, to uh, boycott this network in particular. But I, I'm pretty sure anyone can agree that you know there are certain uh, certain media platforms where one would be unhappy, where anyone would be unhappy. Uh, certain people advertising, you know, I don't, you know, if IKEA started advertising on you know Iranian state television, I'm pretty sure we'd have a different opinion. So look, I mean. At the, at the at the end of the day, everyone everyone's gonna you know based on their own kind of political preferences is is gonna have uh, is gonna like or dislike uh, you know these companies advertising on uh, on a certain platform on certain media platforms. I, I personally think that it's a bit silly. Hmm. Uh, well, but... Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
there's liking and disliking and then there's being so entitled that you think that your tastes should dictate advertising policy sure i mean look i mean i i i, I find this conversation very boring uh, <laughs> so, but but um but, but look i mean ikea ikea co-op whatever you know like they can advertise wherever they want um if if that's where they feel that their customers are if that's not where their customers are well i guess that's just poor market research that they need to improve on that um do, you know hmm. Hmm. i don't think the main focus on this story though is company policy it's groups look looking to dismantle gb news over ideology mm. well that, that's always going to happen with, with, with any, you know with anything whether it's on the right or the left there, there's going to be you know th th this is this is not a new thing you know there, there's always there's always been advertised advertiser boycotts there's always been you know pressure groups that have tried you know to get advertisers to stop advertising on certain you know shows wherever those be right-wing pressure groups or left-wing pressure groups it's it's been going on for a very long time i don't think this is anything new um like so I, I, you know, at the at the end of the day, you know, this, this isn't going to ruin GB News, and uh, I, I don't, and uh, yeah, I, I I don't think uh, I don't think there's really too much newsworthy about this, except that it just plays into the uh, into the current kind of culture war, you know, uh, cancel culture hmm. shtick, which was bound to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny. Like one one thing I want to know, like actually wait a couple of weeks for uh, for all this uh, kind of hype around GB News to settle down to see what their actual core audience is like. Because I'm pretty sure the past few days, like half the people watching it have been angry, uh, angry uh, progressives on, from from Twitter who just you know who, who are just watching it to, to you know to to take clips from it and uh, and, and to, display display their displeasure. <laughs> well, I mean, they've been trying, but nothing really that controversial has come up. I mean. Um... Uh, Sam Bright, the, um, the journalist at Byline Times, the same guy who, who doxed the 18-year-old uh, behind Politics for All, he attempted to cancel GB News with a, a direct quote from the show that wasn't even that bad. It was a quote that, you know, accused the, um, the British uh, bureaucratic and medical establishment of moving the goalposts to enable further restrictions, which is, you may disagree with that, that opinion, but that's not a, you know, a, a, a message of hate. That's just a yeah, that seems pretty uh, luke, lukewarm. Oh, well, yeah, it's, no, just, it's, it's just, it's just a, a, a yeah, a very milk toast, very lukewarm, dissenting message. That's certainly not the worst thing I've, I've, I've for from my limited time watching GBDs, videos. That's certainly not the worst thing I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the very weird, the very weird conversation about Prince Andrew was probably a bit worse than that. <laughs> mm, mm. With uh, Lady Colin Campbell. Yes, yes, yes it's was It's not he, you know, like uh, was it like what, what what he was doing wasn't even if he was doing it, uh, would not have been technically pedophilia. It would be something else. I mean, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. What, what, a, what a weird hill to die on. Yeah, very very weird. That that's that's probably the worst thing I've heard so far. Not not Dan Wooten talking about you know lockdown. Um, but anyway, Luke, Luke any uh, closing remarks on the matter? Uh, I, I, I think we covered all bases. Just same old, same old, really. Same old, same old. Well, uh, on that, on the note of uh, same old, same old, we'll um, leave you again for this week. Uh, we'll be back again next week, hopefully with Michael back at the helm. Uh, I'm getting really tired of hosting this show. So uh, thank you again to Peter for stepping in and to Luke for being here as always. Uh, I've been SD Wicket and thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week. Cheers.